We're going to turn now to to God's word and we're going to uh, read from the book of Exodus and chapter 3. This morning being the second Sunday in the month, it's the occasion where traditionally we launch out into the new year with our motto text. And our motto text this year is the first one that I haven't actually chosen in the 20 years that I've been here. It's been chosen for us uh, this year by John Hall who is going to be coordinating the preaching program for Uh, this year and maybe beyond, we don't know. But uh, John has felt led to uh, invite us to explore, in part uh, this year, the story of Moses. And this morning we're going to be looking at a well-known story in chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles available, you want to turn to it or just follow it on the screen, It's chapter 3 and the first 14 verses that we're going to be reading this morning. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
Let's pray. Father, at the beginning of this uh, new year, as we set sail on a new voyage of discovery with you, we pray that you will help us, particularly this morning, as we consider this text. Help us to understand what your call upon our life is and to be ready to follow. Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like this morning to begin by really sticking my neck out in a bold way. I think I'm safe in saying that every one of us, without exception, here this morning, would have to, if we were honest, admit that at some stage in our lives we have made blunders. Is that fair enough? That we've made foolish decisions. We've done things which we have lived to regret. And that's if it were at all possible to turn black back the clock, if it was possible to go back in time, we would do things differently. And I'm sure that as we look at the life of Moses, and particularly as we look at this particular chapter, we will see someone who would also want to turn back the clock. Because the memories of his past are in serious danger of crippling him in the future. Here in chapter 3, we are going to see that for 40 years... Moses' rash behavior had been plaguing him. He's now 80 years of age. Half of his lifetime has been spent in regret for the things of the past. He'd been brought up in the household of Pharaoh in Egypt but he'd had to leave because of one rash act, one blunder, one wrong decision. And when we look at chapter 3, some 40 years have gone by since that event, since he had had to leave Egypt. And we're told that he's now looking after the flock of his father-in-law. 40 years on, and Moses is still just a shepherd. He's not yet begun the momentous, momentous task that God was preparing him for. So here's really the first lesson. God is not in any kind of hurry. We're very different, aren't we? We are often in a hurry. We are often in a rush. And I'm pretty confident in saying also this morning that many of us in our current situation in the life of the church, knowing that I'm about to depart, would be wanting to say we need to find a replacement as soon as possible. Can we really wait a year 
or even more to find someone to take over the helm. Well, can I just say that God has the right person in mind. And like Moses, God is still preparing that person for the task. I hope it won't be 40 years. But God isn't in any, any kind of hurry. God wanted a shepherd for his people. And so the chosen man, Moses, had to learn how to look after someone else's sheep. Which is why he spent 40 years looking after the flock of his father-in-law. In other words, Moses had his period of preparation, he had his period of training, getting ready for the task that God was about to call him to. The hand of God was shaping his destiny. He had to learn the lesson of being faithful and committed. Being faithful in the ordinary routine of everyday life. And when the time was right, God stepped into his life and gave him a new sense of direction. And that's what God will do here in his time. You know, Moses, on that day when he went out looking after his uh, father-in-law's sheep, had no idea what that day held for him. It was just another day. The same old routine. But there was no hint that, the, that his life was about to change dramatically. It was just another day looking after his father-in-law's daft sheep. But then look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Out of curious curiosity, Moses turns aside. He sees this strange picture, this strange occurrence. And he gets close to the bush to see what's going on. And it's then that God speaks. When the Lord saw, verse 4, that he had gone over to look, he called to him, from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. When God saw that he had gained Moses' attention, he then spoke to him. Which brings us really to the second lesson, which is very pertinent for us this year. We need to take time for God to speak to us. You know, we are so often busy, aren't we? We're so often preoccupied. We're in such a hurry to get things sorted out that we seldom give sufficient and adequate attention to stop and pause and listen to hear what God wants to say to us. We need to take time to hear what God is saying. How do we do that? Well, let me give you two very practical ways in which we can do that. The first one won't surprise you. Very simple, very straightforward. We need to pray. And we need to pray together. You know, we've been greatly concerned, certainly within the leadership over recent months, that our periodic prayer meetings on a Tuesday evening, bi-monthly, have been very poorly attended. 
Just a handful of people have been turning up. If we reach double figures, it's a good night. Friends, I need to say, and I need to say it sincerely, and please accept it from a heart that really is concerned, that situation needs to change. It needs to change. Our prayer meetings, when we gather together, need to be well attended because it's on those occasions that we seek God that God will speak to us. Prayer has to be a high priority this year. The second thing that we need to do, and this really concerns those of you who are formerly church members, is this, that church members must give priority this year to our church members' meetings. Again, over the past years, there have been occasions when we have struggled to get sufficient people together at a church meeting in order to make decisions. We have not had a sufficient quorum. Friends, that needs to change. You need to be there. Because those are the occasions when we as the members of this church who are charged with the important task of making decisions that will set the journey into the future. We need to be there to discuss, to pray, and to listen to one another and thereby discern the will and purpose of God in our gathering. We need to grasp every opportunity that we have to take time to listen to God. To hear what God wants to say to us. If we do not make time to listen, then we will not hear. And if we do not hear, then the wait for replacement could get longer. Because we're not hearing what God is saying. Or we can make some huge mistakes by doing it our way and not doing it God's way. We need to take time for God to speak to us. God spoke to Moses. He heard the voice. And he responded with the words, here I am. But then look at verse 5. What does he do next? He hides his face. Why does he do that? Well, it says he's afraid to look on God. Why is he afraid to look on God? Because, I believe... That vivid memory of serving God in the past was one of absolute abject failure. He had stuffed up big time. He had killed an Egyptian who was beating a fellow Hebrew. And as a result, he'd been forced to escape from Egypt to the land of Midian where... He met and married one of the daughters of the priest of Midian and he spent the next 40 years looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And Moses may be thinking, wow, God is now about to get even with me. I'm in big trouble. He could remember trying to do God's will his own way. 
and it went horribly wrong. So Moses hides his face in fear. The furthest thing from Moses' mind at that time, I believe, was the thought that God actually wants to use him in the future because of the failures of the past. Which brings us to the third important point. God can and will use us despite our past. And some of you may be thinking that because of your past, you will not be used by God. There's no way that he would touch you now with a barge pole. And if you are used of God, well, it's going to be a pretty limited way in which God is going to use me. Moses must have been thinking, God, why do you want to send me? Just a minute, God. Don't you realize that I'm the one who messed up all those years ago? And God effectively says to him, yeah, but I haven't forgotten you. I've been training you. Moses was saying, God, I'm the one who blows it every time. And God says, yeah, but you're also the one that's been forgiven. You know, I think Moses must have been in complete shock that God would ever want to use him again. Moses is possibly the most reluctant convert to the service of God. But, you know, God's meeting with him there at Horeb was a radical and life-changing experience for him. But before his life can change, God has to deal with a number of excuses that Moses makes in order to avoid the tasks that, that God has in mind for him. It's during this encounter with God that Moses learns what his mission is to be. The task that has been set before him by God was an impossible one, really, in many respects. It was to bring the people of God, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. Depending on which commentator you read, the people of Israel had been in slavery from anything from about 200 to 400 years. It's not quite clear from a lot of the arguments as to exactly how long that is, but whichever way, it's a pretty long time. How do you get people that have been in slavery for 200 years to be liberated? It was an immensely difficult task, something that Moses had never, ever been called upon to do anything like that in the past. He'd been away from Egypt for now 40 years, remember? Things had changed. The old rulers that he had known in the past were dead and gone, probably. There was a new generation in place, a generation that he didn't know. And he was going into an unknown situation as one man against a superpower. And he already failed once. He must have viewed returning to that unknown situation with some trepidation. But what Moses doesn't realize is this, that what made him so special to God was that God was with him. You know, if you don't re recognize that, that God is in you, you will come up with all kinds of seemingly good excuses for not serving God. Let's look at some of the excuses that Moses made. Here's the first one. 
I don't have the confidence. Verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? You know, the greatest battle in doing what God wants us to do will be the battle that we fight with ourselves. If you failed in the past, then the tendency will be to want to resist serving God in the future for fear that you will make a mess of it again. Moses says, who am I? It's the kind of what me syndrome, isn't it? What me? Do you really want me to do that? Surely not. But notice that God doesn't deny Moses' inadequacy. We, we tend to react quite differently, don't we? If somebody comes to us, if we, if we go to someone and say, we would like you to do this, and we get the kind of reaction that Moses came up with, you know, what, me? I, I can't do that. I couldn't do that. What do we say? Well, I suspect that most of us would say, and I'm sure I've said it myself in the past, we would say something like this, yes, you can. You'll be fine. You can do it. You'll be all right. Just give it a try. Don't worry. But that's not the way that God deals with Moses or the way that he deals with us. Moses says, God, I'm inadequate. And God is effectively saying, yep, you are. But don't forget that I am more than adequate for this situation. Moses' position was this, look, I'm not up to the job. You shouldn't take me on. God's reply, yeah, of course you're not up to the job. I knew that when I chose you. The point is not your ability. It's mine. And Moses was given this uh, wonderful reassurance from God. God says, I will be with you. That well-known phrase is really puzzling, isn't it? I am who I am. But in effect, what was God saying? He was saying this, look, I've committed myself to you. I've committed myself to be present with you. Moses said, who am I? God said, wrong question. Who you are is not important. What is important is who I am. Whatever the circumstances that are going to arise, I will be there with you and I will be sufficient. Second excuse, I don't have the education. Verse 13, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, Moses says, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses, I think here, is using an excuse that so many of us use when we're asked to, to fulfill a task. His saying is this, people you know, are going to ask me questions. And I don't know how to answer them. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the education. If I take the job, I will not have all the answers. What will I say when they ask me those questions? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What is God saying to Moses? Simply this. You may not have all the answers. But you will have all of me. I am will be with you. You know, there are many times in your life where you won't have all the answers. People will ask you a question and you'll be absolutely stumped. 
to come up with a decent answer. You'll struggle to know what you're to do in a given situation. You'll be out of your depth. And you're afraid that people will see those shortcomings in your life, those flaws in your life. And you shy away from responding positively to what you're being asked to do. People will find out that you are human after all. And that's when you need to fall back on the God who says, I am, is with you. Moses won't have all the answers, but he will have all of God's. People will all kind will exert a lot of pressure on him in the future, but he's not going to allow that pressure to force him away from God. He's got to allow that pressure to force him closer to God. To the God who is the I am. To the God who is with him. Third excuse. I don't have their respect. I'm going to jump outside my brief a bit this morning and just jump into to chapter 4 if I may. Um, I can do that because I'm not going to be treading on anybody's toes apart from my own. Um, I shall be preaching on chapter 4 later on in the series. But I just want to touch on it and we'll come back to it on that occasion. Moses answered, verse 1, chapter 4, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? What is Moses concerned about here? Well, it's his own image. He wants to look good. He wants to have a bit of kudos. He wants people to respect him. He's 80 years of age, but he still has his pride. He doesn't want to lose face. And so you can just about hear Moses saying, Lord, what if they do not respect me? Notice what the Lord does in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. He says to him, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replies. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. What's going on here? Well, I think the Lord is saying to Moses, look, if I can do that with a stick, just imagine what I can do with you. I am the one who can transform the common, ordinary things of life. Moses is afraid that he's going to be criticized. Let me say something about criticism. When you're a minister, when you're a church leader, or when you're, when you're someone who is in any kind of leadership position in the church, you can bet your bottom dollar that you will either be in the penthouse or in the doghouse. You'll either be in that kind of tower of praise and adulation from the people of God or you'll be in the dump of criticism. When you serve God, you will not get away from criticism. But God is saying to Moses, if I can handle that staff, I can handle criticism for you. If you're going to serve God, you will make many mistakes. I've been 30 years in church leadership in one form or another, and I know I've made mistakes. Things I've done and said that I wish I hadn't done. And people will see the flaws in your life, and they're going to criticize. But God says, you will have all of my power. We don't need necessarily to have the respect of the people all the time. What we do need is the presence of God all the time. Fourth excuse, I don't have the ability. Again, jumping into chapter 4, this time verse 10. 
Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. You know, that's a very common excuse, isn't it? I don't have the ability. There are other people who could do this job much better than me. Why don't you go and ask them? Comes out beautifully in verse 13 of chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, please send someone else to do it. That's really trying to get out of it, isn't it? It's just like someone saying, you know, compared to so-and-so, I'm useless. They would be much better than me. But, you know, God isn't speaking necessarily to so-and-so. He's speaking to you. So you need to realize that in God's eyes, you are unique. And you need to accept that. You need to realize that you have nothing to prove. It's not a competition. You're not out to prove that you are better than anybody else. You're there simply to do what God wants you to do. And you need to refuse every temptation that you may have to try and compare yourself with other people. You know, if Moses lives in our memories, as I'm sure he does, as a mighty leader, the leader of Israel, the man who brought deliverance from slavery in Egypt to the very borders of the promised land, we need to remember where he started. He started as a guy who was incredibly insecure, unprepared, and unworthy. And the fact of the matter is that Moses needed tons of reassurance. He was so uncertain about himself. That episode in Egypt all those years ago when he killed a man must have really knocked the stuffing out of him. All the confidence was gone. And the man who was once the prince of Egypt and had now become nothing but a mere shepherd in Midian, needed so much reassurance and encouragement. He needed so much loving care, and that's just what he received from God. The Lord was patiently working with him, stage by stage, giving him the reassurance that he needed. And when Moses was faced with his calling to bring God's people out of Egypt, his first reaction was, I can't, therefore I won't. But as God dealt with him, he brought him to the point where he could say instead, I can't, but God can, and therefore I will. Here I am. He was immediately reassured that whatever else changed, one thing remained the same. This God who spoke to him out of the burning bush was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of his forefathers. And by faith he could grasp the fact that the God of his forefathers was the unchanging God. The same God who spoke to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. The same God who kept his promises to his forefathers is the God who would keep his promises to him, to Moses. And it's the same God who is with his people today. Let me close with a very quick story. 
Many years ago, a couple opened a general store in America, one of those kind of all kinds of things that you sell. It was quite a successful business until one day, a mega department store de decided to build right next to this small general store. And what made matters worse was that shortly after, a huge discount store, discount store built premises on the other side of the general store. And so the owners of the general store became aware that their business was failing and that bankruptcy was imminent. And they came up with this brilliant idea. They ordered a huge sign which they put over the entrance to the general store. And the sign read very simply, main entrance here. You know, as we move into 2014, there will be tasks that will need to be picked up. There are challenges facing every one of us. And it may be that at some stage on that journey together, you as an individual in this church will be called upon by God to do something in the life of this fellowship. And you have a choice. You can squirm. You can resist. You can throw up all those kinds of excuses. Or you can allow God to put a sign on you that says, main entrance here. And allow God to work through you. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that you have spoken. And it may be that you have spoken very clearly and very loudly to individuals within this congregation here this morning. People who know that you have set for them a particular task to be undertaken. And we know and appreciate that for many it will be a daunting task, one which they feel completely inadequate for. We've all been there. But those of us that have made ourselves available will be able to testify that despite those feelings of inadequacy and those crippling regrets maybe of past failure we know that when you are with us nothing is too difficult so father we set course 2014 to to be a church that is ready and willing to answer the call when god calls our name to say very simply here Lord, help us to respond in the right way.
In Jesus' name we pray.